The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Wednesday edition, PFTPM, back in the saddle again. Been gone for most of the week. Did a PFTPM joint episode with Chris Sims on Monday of Chris Sims Unbuttoned. That's always fun to do. I don't mean that sarcastically. It is fun to do. Not so much fun that I would move to Connecticut and I want to punch him in the face or kick him in the nuts every time he tries to cajole me to move. We see the boss on Monday night at an NBC event. First thing he says, man, the show's really good with Mike here. He should move. It's like, Chris, shut the hell up. Of course, the boss jumps in. Yeah, you know what? You should move. God. Anyway, plenty to get to. A quiet Wednesday in mid-May, dead smack in the middle of May. Ends up being an unexpectedly busy day when the Jets finally do something that they were rumored to do during the draft. Now, I heard on the second day of the draft, Friday, 26th of April, that McCagnan, Mike McCagnan, GM of the Jets, would likely be fired after the draft. I had been hearing of friction between McCagnan and Gase. Hadn't written anything about it, but I'd been hearing about it. And I decided to wait until after the draft to write anything about it unless it got out before the end of the draft. I just didn't think it was fair at that time of chaos and confusion and lies being told and misdirections. I didn't want to put something out there that possibly wasn't true and that definitely would have impacted the Jets during the draft. It would have screwed them up. Friday night... After round three, Mike McKagan had a press conference. He was asked about rumors and reports that his job may be in jeopardy. So that made it fair game. Wrote something about it the next morning and just waited. Now, I remember thinking at the time, if this really is fake, if this really is false, if there's nothing to this suggestion that McKagan could be out, Christopher Johnson, the CEO and chairman of the team, guy who is minding the store while his brother Woody is serving as the U.S. ambassador to the court of St. James. It's a fancy way of saying the ambassador to the U.K. Christopher Johnson needed to come out and say fake news. Needed to come out and say, I got my guys. Needed to come out and say these two guys are working well together. Needed to do that. Didn't do that. Adam Gase came out and said the rumor regarding... Mike McCagnan's job status pisses me off. Well, McCagnan's out now. I think they waited because it got out. I think it would have been done sooner if it hadn't got out. I saw someone suggest that they waited until the day after the NBA draft lottery because they'd have cover. 
because everybody would be talking about the Knicks, either happy that the Knicks got the rights to Zion Williamson or pissed off that the Knicks didn't, as they didn't. Regardless, not unprecedented that a GM would get fired now. Odd that Christopher Johnson wouldn't have fired McCagnan with Todd Bowles and started from scratch. And it's beneficial to Adam Gase in that broader game of NFL Thrones where you want to end up running the show. Because for now, Gase runs the show. Hard to take it back once you give the guy the interim GM title. I've been trying to think of a time that a coach had been named interim GM after his boss was fired. Now, technically, McCagnin's not his boss, but McCagnin had final say over the roster in the draft. I think Gase is going to have it now. You know, there's been reports about Joe Douglas, the Eagles VP of player personnel, being the favorite to replace McCagnin, and that would be Gase's handpicked guy, which tells you right there that Gase is in charge. Will Gase have final say in writing? Reminds me of the Eric Mangini-George Kokinas marriage of a decade ago, where Mangini had the juice in Cleveland. They gave George Kokinas final say in order to pry him away from the Ravens because you have to give a guy who is under contract with a team but not a GM. Those guys are eligible to be made GMs elsewhere without permission, without the current team blocking the move, if the guy has final say. He has to have GM powers. They could try, the Jets could, to hire Joe Douglas, give him final say in writing, but have him understand that Adam Gase actually has final say. They could do that. Or they could just hire somebody who's available now. When I saw the report that Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network is under consideration for the Jets GM job, my thought was, well... This is a John Gruden move. Hire somebody from the media, somebody who is currently available to be hired, because then you don't have to give that person final say. Now, this vacancy could spark multiple false candidacies for the job, all aimed at creating leverage for that individual in his or her current shop. I'm not saying that that's particularly the case with Daniel Jeremiah. I'm not suggesting that, you know, he hasn't gotten a contract extension since Mike Mayock left to become the GM of the Raiders. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm not suggesting that his name is being put out there in part to create leverage so NFL Network will have to step up and pay Jeremiah. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm not suggesting that Jeremiah and the guy who broke the story are both represented by CAA, and it's a convenient development where one CAA client is helping the agency and a fellow client by putting that out there, not just to get the guy greater legitimacy in the industry, but also to maybe leverage the guy a new contract where he currently is. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that there may be some that would potentially benefit by leveraging Jets' interest in them into a better gig where they currently are. I don't know how this is going to work. 
I can't think of a time where a coach who had been fired crash landed on his feet like Mangini did 10 years ago when he went from the Jets to the Browns. How a guy like that ends up running the show without winning a single game. One of the realities of new coaches coming in to an organization, an organization that already has a GM in place, as that coach wins, that coach starts to try to get more juice. I can't think of a time that a coach has tried to get more juice before he's ever coached a single game. Now, you could argue, I guess, that Gase didn't do this at all. It just happened. Maybe it did. But I think at some point, Gase grabbed that giant spoon and stirred the pot a little. Whether he meant to or not, that Le'Veon Bell discrepancy, where the Jets didn't want to pay, well, Gase didn't want to pay, Gase is now the Jets, where Gase didn't want to pay Bell big money, but McCagnan and the Jets did, and now Bell is a stranger to the offseason program, and it allows Gase to say, I told you so. Wouldn't it be something if there's some sort of a strange alliance that emerged where Gase encouraged Bell not to show up? That's next level stuff. I have no idea. And you know, sometimes when I throw something out there, I really am like in a roundabout way saying, you know, I may have done that within the last five minutes. Who knows? But I'm not saying that, that there's anything to this crazy idea that Gase would have encouraged Bell to not show up for the offseason program to strengthen Gase's case that the guy who signed Bell should no longer have a job. I'm just saying that would be amazing if that were the case. And I'm really not saying it. I have I don't know any way out of this maze now. I really am not. I feel like George Costanza when he kept winking because he had grapefruit juice squirted in his eye. I'm not winking. I really mean it. I have no idea that there's anything to this. And it's a crazy pulled it out of my butt proposition. But that would be something. I mean, all that said, that would be something. If Gase got word to Bell, you don't need to come to the offseason program. Just work out on your own. Actually, I'd prefer that you don't come. Just hang out. Do your thing. If he starts showing up now, maybe that'll be a sign that that was the deal. Just stay away until there's a major personnel change within the building. No change the way the Rams go about Signing their draft picks, one thing that MDS noticed and posted at PFT on Wednesday afternoon, the Rams, the last team to sign any of their draft picks. And that's the way the Rams do it. That's before and after Jeff Fisher. I'm surprised they still do it after Jeff Fisher. And what they do is, like at the last minicamp of the offseason program, they sign all the rookies. They, they keep the rookies in a hotel. They don't want them to have to worry about money. They don't want them to be distracted by money. And all the rookies go along with it. There hasn't been one yet that has said, you know what, I'm not going to participate in these offseason workouts until I get my contract. Now, there also hasn't been a rookie that has suffered a serious injury. Because that can happen. And when it happens, it wakes people up to the idea that these guys should just have their contracts in place. And remember Jeff Fisher used to bring in a million dollars, an actual million dollars, 
out of an armored car and he would show the players where that million dollars goes, how much goes to taxes, how much goes to agents, how much is left for you, how you have to budget it, and how you have to be smart with your money and don't act like you just won the lottery. More and more of these guys are signed, though, and as I've said time and again, it's proof they all could get done. I think the first order of business after the draft, after you reach agreements with your undrafted free agents, just go ahead and sign these guys. Just sign them. And if players would start to refuse to participate in the offseason program until they got signed, more of these teams would do it. There was an expectation that Duke Johnson was going to be present for Brown's OTAs this week. He's not there. He wants out. The team has shown no inclination to let him go, to trade him. They've got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. For the first half of the season, they're going to need Duke Johnson. See, that's the problem. Duke Johnson shows up and plays, and he gets thrown overboard when Kareem Hunt comes back. He's not happy with that. He'd rather go somewhere where he is wanted now, where he can go in and learn the ropes and compete for a top spot on the depth chart and be ready to contribute. Kareem Hunt met with reporters today for the first time since he joined the Cleveland Browns. I've got to earn everybody's trust, he said. I'm not going to mess this up again. And there's a lot of salty Chiefs fans out there who aren't happy with the current status of Kareem Hunt. No, Tyreek Hill. And they like to point to Kareem Hunt for some reason. Like, if you're upset about Tyreek Hill, then you need to be upset about Kareem Hunt. And... Any domestic violence is bad. Anyone who engages in that kind of behavior away from the field or on the field, I mean, there's certain, it's not domestic violence per se, unless a guy on your own team happens to also be your roommate and you beat the hell out of him during a game. But, you know, I remember arguing 12 years ago, no, it was 14 years ago, Albert Hainsworth should have been prosecuted when he took his cleat to the forehead of Andre Garrod. But any type of antisocial behavior that amounts to assault and battery that should meet with a swift punishment, regardless of whether the victim is male or female or a child. But it should be a bigger punishment when it's a child. And I don't know why people don't see that. And see, the problem is if you try to justify that, then people say, oh, oh, so it's okay to assault a woman, but it's not okay to assault a child. Well, it's not okay to assault a woman, but it's worse to assault a child. Because the child can't effectively pick up the phone and do something about it. The child is helpless. The person who is supposed to be protecting the child is assaulting the child and brutalizing the child and terrorizing the child. So yes, it's worse. Both are bad, but one is capable of being worse. The Kareem Hunt video is not nearly as troubling as the Ray Rice video. It's okay to say that. You're not condoning Kareem Hunt. You're just pointing out that the video evidence of Kareem Hunt shoving and kicking a woman is not nearly as disturbing as Ray Rice knocking out his then-fiancee. And neither of those are as disturbing as the admitted misconduct of Tyreek Hill of choking and beating a pregnant woman. A woman who was pregnant with the kid who is now being assaulted, allegedly, terrorized, allegedly, and brutalized, allegedly. You throw on top of it, Tyreek Hill is on tape threatening the woman that he choked and beat while pregnant. Yes, Tyreek Hill's situation is worse. And only the most ardent and zealous Chiefs fans who are butthurt 
about the possibility of not having Tyreek Hill and who are butthurt about the fact that Kareem Hunt now plays for the Browns, only someone like that would refuse to see the difference. And if you refuse to see that difference, I can't help you. Geno Smith continuing his NFL career, signing with the Seattle Seahawks. Chris Sims was taken up for him, I think. Was it Sims? He's never gotten a fair shake and felt bad for what happened with the Jets and felt bad for what happened with the Giants. And look, talent ultimately rises to the top. But I kind of see the point where you have to have people buy into the idea that the guy's a good quarterback because you get the benefit of the doubt. You can have the same stats. 60% passing, completion, 7 yards per attempt, 2 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio, passer rating of about 85. I don't know that those numbers would add up to that, but you know, okay, good numbers, not great. But if the guy's got a bad reputation, it's hard for those numbers to overcome it. And Smith never had a good reputation. He got jerked around by the Jets. He got jerked around by the Giants. He got put into that game against the Raiders and actually did okay. But it was all, how can you bench Eli Manning? And Now, Geno Smith actually upgrades the number two position with the Seattle Seahawks. Remember, they could have had Colin Kaepernick last year or year two years ago, whenever that was. They want competition at every position except starting quarterback because that's where Russell Wilson is the chosen one. And for good reason, he's earned it. I like to see that Moose Johnson is back in the game of alternate professional football, director of player personnel of the Dallas XFL team. It's amazing they haven't named any of these teams yet, but he was with the San Antonio team of the AAF. They had a name. I can't remember what it is. Commanders? Commodores? I don't know. I can't remember. But... I assume Moose Johnston has done a little more due diligence this time to make sure he's actually signing up with a legitimate football operation. The fact that he would do it again, unless he's just going by the law of averages and assuming that it's impossible to sign up with two consecutive alternate football leagues that fold during their initial seasons, I I, I assume he's made a few calls and he's gotten the appropriate assurances that the rug's not going to get pulled out from under him this time. And I, I think that the XFL will finish its first season. I don't know how long the XFL is going to stick around because I continue to be very skeptical about any spring football league. And I don't care that they have national TV contracts. If this was 1975, that would matter. If you're going to have games on major networks back at a time when you had no options, then you could turn it into something that people would watch. I just don't think people are going to care. Because the fan in me does not care. The business person in me does. The fan in me doesn't. And I'm being, look, I'm, I'm being transparent. I'm being candid. And I'm just glad NBC doesn't have a contract with the XFL. Because then I would be very, it would be very awkward for me to have to say, I'm interested in it as a business person. But as a fan, I just don't care. But I just don't care. And I don't know what it's going to take to make me care. But I don't. Jamie Collins may return to the Patriots. He's a free agent. He's been floating around out there. Bill Belichick will be the defensive coordinator this year. We talked about that on PFT Live and PFTOT. I just, I just, I just wonder whether Belichick still has the capacity to do everything that he needs to do as the head coach. And I think this is a, a win for 
Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, because I think he emerges from this with a little more juice because it's going to be harder for Bill Belichick to micromanage, if he has been, the offense. And he's going to have to trust McDaniels to do a lot of this on his own. And the offense is in flux. They don't know what the offense is going to look like post-Gronkowski because they wait and see what their guys can do, and then they figure out how they're going to run their offense to get the most out of the guys that they have, which is a smart way to do it. Wrote something about the Le'Veon Bell contract being a point of contention between Mike McCagney and Adam Gase. And again, I talked earlier, jokingly, not seriously, not hinting at anything I know about Bell deliberately not showing up for the offseason programs at the behest of Gase so Gase could accumulate more power and get McCagney out of there. But this is going to take some work by Gase to, to unruffle feathers, smooth things over, make sure Bell feels wanted. Bell will be there at some point. And look, what, 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 even if Gase didn't want him, there's, there's a way Gase can spin this to give Bell more motivation. It's like, yeah, I did have misgivings. I thought we were paying too much. I could see Gase being very direct. Look, man, I, I didn't want to pay you what we paid you, but we did. And you're here now, so let's go out and win some football games. What I thought, what you thought, what anyone thought doesn't matter. You're here now. And I just want to go win some football games. Do you want to win some football games? Let's go win some football games. I'm uh, looking to see what else is going on here. It has been a crazy day. Freddie Kitchens making excuses for Odell Beckham not being at the OTAs. He was there Tuesday for the first day of OTAs. Remember, OTA phase three, it's football practice. In helmets and t-shirts and shorts, no pads. Freddie Kitchens said it's important for Beckham to mentally be ready to be here. I'm not giving him an out. It's better for him to be here when he can be present as his best self, emotionally and physically. I don't know what that means. And I continue to be torn by the reality that players have the power to not show up for off-season workouts. And I believe that all players should walk out at the same time because they would benefit from it dramatically at the bargaining table. There would be a concession immediately made to get them all to come back. I mean, there's talk about whether or not the players would absorb a work stoppage. If you can't even absorb, absorb a work stoppage when you're, you're not going to miss a paycheck, except for the guys who have workout bonuses. But even then, all the guys who don't have workout bonuses could stay away. The guys who do have workout bonuses could skip a couple sessions and still earn their money. But if you won't do that, if I'm the, if I'm the owners and I look at this, I, I'm, I, I'm laughing. They wouldn't even do something like this to exert their collective leverage and try to put us in a position where we had to make some concession to make these mandatory and not voluntary. They won't even do that. If they can't do that, they can never take a work stoppage. And it would make and should make the owners feel more confident about their ability to drive a hard bargain. And you know what? We may be wrong. Maybe something will cause the players to stand up and say, you know what? We will do this. We will fight you. We will give up game checks and possibly a full season, even though it's going to be significant to us. We're willing to do it for the betterment of our brethren over the long haul. I just don't. I don't see that happening. And that's one of the realities we have to look at as this potential for a work stoppage continues. And it's just a couple of seasons away, unless they get a new deal done. And they may get a new deal done. 
we'll, we'll see how much collegiality and cooperation there can be. We'll see how how piggish the NFL may be because the NFL likes the current deal the way it is. But if the NFL decides it doesn't matter if we like the current deal, what matters is we can get a better deal by squeezing their nuts again, locking them out again, and making an offer that they won't refuse because they don't want to miss any regular season game checks like they did back in 2011. One last item before we get into your questions. Actually, before I do that, because I got two of these to do today. Let me tell you about a very important piece of advice you need to follow this time of year if you're out driving around. There's no good excuse when you're out in your car for not buckling up. And and, and you know how, how they go. I'm not going very far. I'm in a rush. It's uncomfortable. Sometimes I just forget. There is no good excuse for not putting your seatbelt on. If you've used any of these excuses, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death. 2017, more than 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 51% of all people killed in motor vehicle crashes not wearing seatbelts. More than half weren't wearing seatbelts. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still need to buckle up. Also, if you're in taxis or ride-sharing services, buckle up. Cops are on the lookout and they're writing tickets, so why take the risk? In 2017 alone, seatbelts saved nearly 15,000 lives. So do the smart thing and buckle up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket that's paid for by NHTSA. And I got a couple things to add to this. This is a little bonus. I'll tell you two quick stories. We were in New York over the weekend, and we took a cab somewhere. I can't remember where we were going. I think we were going to see the show, the Brian Cranston Show Network. And... First thing my wife did, got in the back seat, put on the seatbelt in the cab. And I was like, ah, who cares? We're not going very far. And then the guy gets out onto, I think, 8th Avenue. And he had a straightaway and he gunned it. And it's like, oh, shit. So I, I put the seatbelt on and it wouldn't snap. It was busted. So I turned to my wife and I said, hey, if we die, I just want you to know, I tried to put my seatbelt on and it's busted. So you'll get more money in the lawsuit. (laughs) So congratulations. Obviously, we didn't crash. But I guess that's important for any ride sharing provider or taxi cab company. Make sure your seatbelts work so your customers can use them. One last seatbelt story. This is all paid for by NHTSA, although I probably shouldn't have dropped an S-bomb in the NHTSA spot. Sorry, NHTSA, but I'm trying to make your point. Years ago, I was driving cross-country for a co-op work program that I was in. I was working at Chevron. They had a refinery, still have a refinery in the Bay Area. And I was going to be there most of 1986. This goes way back. Late 85, early 86, driving cross-country. Buddy of mine went with me because it's you know, it's an adventure. We're 20 years old. Let's drive cross-country. What the hell? And we stopped in Amarillo, Texas staying at crappy hotels. I'm mean, 20 years old. You know, I don't have much of, a, of, a, of an expense allowance from Chevron to make this trip cross country. And I did it so I'd have my car out there for the, you know, the full year or so. And my, my buddy had like a super saver fare and it was like 75 bucks to fly home from there or something like that. One of those old airlines where, you know, you're on the wing of the plane, they strap you in and off you go. So Amarillo, Texas, going to eat dinner at, you know, the finest cuisine available, Pizza Hut. I think we ate at Pizza Hut every night that we could. 
Five minutes from the hotel, right down the road. Get in the car, put on the seatbelt. I look at my buddy and he's like, yeah, we're just going right down the road. And I said, we well, should still put it on. You know, 75% of all accidents happen within a mile of the home, or whatever the stat is. But the whole idea, you know, it can happen within a mile of the home. And he said, we're a thousand miles from West Virginia. So put your seatbelt on. I don't know that it was worth the extra time for that, but that, that's always one of my funny stories. We're a thousand miles from West Virginia. All right. No easy way to do this transition, but I want to talk about the Kellen Winslow case. Because I saw Dan Wetzel's column at Yahoo, and I've had people ask me this question on radio spots this week. Chris McLean of WFNZ asked me about it. Kellen Winslow going to trial on a variety of sexual misconduct charges. Just creepy, sordid stuff. And there's a belief that Kellen Winslow's lawyers will use some sort of an insanity-based defense where you essentially admit you did it, but you did it because of some defect in your brain that would result in you not being put in jail. Not that you're going to walk out of the courtroom, but you're going to end up in a facility where they try to cure you, I guess, and maybe there's a path to getting out at some point, but that's a Hail Mary pass. That means they have no factual defense. You're admitting you did it. And it would be stupid to argue, he didn't do it, he didn't do it. But you know what? If he did it, it's because he's got a mental defect. If you prove that he did it, well, then I guess he did it. He's got a mental defect. It's hard to sell both of those. You got to pick one. And, and lawyers do that, not to that extreme, but lawyers will try to argue things in the alternative. Juries see right through that. It just comes off as slick lawyering. You got to find a theory and put all your eggs in that basket. And ideally, the theory fits with what happened, something you can prove. This is what happened. But there's a temptation with that beyond a reasonable doubt standard. All you have to do is create that reasonable doubt. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. There's a temptation to throw everything that you can and come up with every possible argument, no matter how strained it is, no matter how contradictory it is to other arguments, and saying, I didn't do it, but if I did, it's because I had brain trauma risky thing to do. And I mention all this because the easy argument is he's got CTE. He's had repeated blows to the head from his years of playing football, even though he didn't play that much professional football because of the things that he did. Remember, he had the accident after his first season where he was doing the endo, the wheelie on the, is it the back wheel is off the ground? The back wheels off the ground, wrecked his motorcycle, messed up his knee was never fully the same after that. Still had a decent career, but was never what he could have been. So it's not like a junior sale situation where it was years and years and years and years of head trauma, head trauma, head trauma. But still, that may be all you have. If you're a lawyer and you're trying to get a guy not acquitted per se, but found not guilty by reason of insanity or whatever the argument would be, even if it means confinement to a facility for an extended period of time, it's still not prison. You're still getting the guy something. You come up with whatever you can. You, you throw the Hail Mary pass. And if it lands in the end zone, so be it. But you try. And what will happen is, and I think it was 10 News in San Diego reported that there are two psychiatrists on the list of potential defense witnesses. That doesn't mean they're going to get called. And a lot of the art of listing your witnesses is to list so many that it's not quite clear what your theory at trial is going to be. You want to keep the other side guessing as long as possible, so you overlist your witnesses. We'll find out when the opening statements begin on May the 20th 
after they have a jury seated, whether or not that argument's going to be made. But Wetzel has suggested it would be bad for football if that argument's made. And, and I don't think so because I know how this game goes. How this game goes, if this, if this goes this way, there will be one or more expert witnesses called by Winslow's people to say that he's not responsible for what he did, that he's got brain trauma, and that it all falls back to football. And there'll be experts available to rebut that, saying that that's all baloney, it's malarkey, there's no proof of, of CTE in living patients. There's no way of knowing that he's suffering, suffering from chronic traumatic encephalopathy and he still knows the difference between right and wrong. And, you know, th- there's no research out there that, that guys are driven to misconduct because of head trauma. There's no, there's nothing that would support that, but you can always find an expert who for a fee, I hate to be this cynical, but it's true. You can always find an expert witness who for a fee will testify to whatever scientific opinion you want him or her to testify to. And the other side will find someone who will testify to the opposite of that opinion. And then it all kind of cancels out. But there may be something in there, for example, just if, if the jury is looking for some way to compromise. If you've got half the jury that thinks he's not guilty, which is hard to do if you're going to come in and say he didn't do it. This is more half the jury uh, feels bad for him, half the jury doesn't, but they find a way to find him not guilty by reason of insanity. They know he's not going to be walking around as a threat to other people, but they also know he's not going to be free. And, you know, he seems like a nice guy and his, you know, his family seems to support him. And God, we feel really bad about this. And it's not like he killed anybody. I mean, that I guess that would be the reasoning for not putting him away for what could be the rest of his life. But, but I think that's why they're doing it. And I don't think it's an indictment against football. Now, I do think that the anti-football crowd in the media will, will, you know, huff and puff about this, but I'll, I'll go ahead and put you on notice now because it's funny. For as critical as I am about the way the NFL runs its business and the way different players and coaches and teams do things they shouldn't do, the, the, the whole anti-football contingency in the media, I'm willing to stand up and 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 say, hey, you're just somebody who doesn't like football and you either want to be involved in the demise of the sport or you want to be a witness to it. You want to cheer on those who are writing 10,000 word articles that you don't read. You just look at them and say, oh, hey, long form journalism. Journalism's not dead. Here's a 10,000 word article. Congratulations. No matter how much shit may be in there. Congratulations. Oh, I didn't actually read it. I mean, come on. (laughs) Not in this day and age. We're only reading 500 word blurbs. I'll, I'll go read the I'll go read the summary at PFT. But congratulations. You wrote a long article that that, that shakes the sport to its very foundation. I mean, haven't, I, and, you know, it's not popular because the same people who don't like football will attack you. Oh, you're just bought and paid for by the NFL. No, I mean, I like football and I've tried to be very pragmatic and realistic about where we currently are. But that group that, that would love to see football go away They'll, they'll latch onto this thing and they'll try to make it look like it's bigger than it is. And people who don't understand how the criminal justice system works will think that the mere fact that they found someone who would come in and testify that Kellen Winslow's behavior was in some way the product of brain trauma, that that means it's true. It doesn't mean it's true. It means that the lawyers are doing whatever they have to do to try to get Kellen Winslow something other than then put in jail for the rest of his natural life. All right, I'm going to answer your questions before I do that. Another message. I got to find it. Here it is. 
There are three things every homeowner wants their home to be smarter, safer, and more fun. What if I told you one link by First Alert has you covered in all three respects? First, meet your family's new best friend, the One Link Safe and Sound. It's a hardwired smart smoke and carbon monoxide alarm with a premium home speaker, and it is Alexa enabled. It's a one sleek device. Built with First Alert safety technology, it provides an immersive, great sound experience. The safe and sound elevates any home, but it gets better. One Link by First Alert also offers a smart smoke and carbon monoxide alarm that works with the One Link safe and sound. The device is easy to install, protects against both smoke and carbon monoxide. If smoke or CO are detected in your home, the smart alarm will notify you through an exclusive voice and location technology, and it will send a notification to your smartphone whether you are home or not. A smart home should always start with smart protection, and One Link by First Alert welcomes you to a smarter, safer home. Visit onelink.firstalert.com for more information. All right, let's see what kind of questions you have for me today. God, I had it all queued up and ready to go. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Hang on, I gotta find it. I can't remember what GIF I used. Oh, there it is. The goddamn Jets GIF from Big Daddy. I think that's Big Daddy. The Adam Sandler movie. I wonder how he feels about what the Jets did today. He's a big Jets fan. Larry David's a big Jets fan. There's a lot of like celebrities who are big Jets fans, and they it's good it's good they have money. They it's they can they can just go count their money. They can check their bank accounts when the Jets are playing. PFTPM Posse asks if Steve Kime is the Michael Scott of the NFL and or the Cardinals, who in the NFL would be the other characters on the office? Boy, I haven't really thought about that one. I made the argument today that because Steve Keim didn't contact Josh Rosen before or after drafting Kyler Murray or trading Josh Rosen, hasn't spoken to him at all, that makes him kind of Michael Scott-ish, that that's something Michael Scott would do. Couldn't work up the nerve to talk to the guy. And then somebody said something that pissed off Patrick Peterson. Michael Scott would do something like that, inadvertently say something that pisses someone off and not even realize what he was doing. I haven't thought about who would be Dwight Schrute. Who would be Dwight Schrute? I don't know. I'm not nearly that creative to think of it on the fly. I wish I was. Who would be Kevin Malone? Who would be Oscar Martinez? Who would be Angela? Who would be Stanley Hudson? Who would be Phyllis? Who would be Jim? Who would be Creed? Ryan? Kelly? Pam? And then they're the satellite characters. Who would be Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration? Who would be Hank, the security guard? Who else am I missing? Roy? Daryl? Sea Monster? I can't think of anybody else. Were there any recurring characters? Well, later in the show, like after Michael Scott left, I quit paying attention to it. Pam's mom. There were two different Pam's moms. One who visited the office early on, season two, maybe. And then Pam's mom from the wedding that Michael Scott ended up dating. So, look, I'm all the way down the rabbit hole with irrelevant stuff. Good question. I don't have an answer for you. PFTPM Posse, is there a rhyme or reason as to the timing of PFT articles? Do you post whenever they're done? Post more or less at certain times of the day, days of the week? Try to stay within the X number of stories per day, hour, etc. What goes into the decisions of when to post what? Nothing. We just work when we work. And I like to have somebody on all day long, so if something big happens, we can get it posted. There's a rhythm to it, though. MDS, Gant, Josh Alper tend to be on early morning. 
I will try to post one story before PFT Live begins. Some days I get that done. Most days I get it done. Some days I have to work more on the outline for the radio hour, the TV show, that it's not where I want it to be at 5.30, 5.40 in the morning. So instead of writing a story, which I very much like to do, I have to spend time polishing that up to get it ready to go. That that doesn't happen when things are busy. Slow time, it's harder. Slow time, it's harder to come up with a good, solid outline for the first hour of radio, so it takes a little more work. Also, it's harder to find a story that is ready to go right out of the gates when we when we get the show rolling. Because there, there just isn't that obvious go-to, hey, I'll write this. Now, I try to keep a list, a running list of things I want to write. But for me, I try to get the story, the one story posted before the show. Then after the show, I try to get at least six done before I take my nap. I take a nap almost every day. Today, I got nine done before I took my nap. So now I'll be locked in for the rest of the day, other than dinner and other than a workout, I'll be posting and I hope to get at least six more to get to 15. 15 is my loose goal. Most days I land between 12 and 15. If I get to 15 or more, that's a busy day. During football season, I like to get 15 to 20. On Sundays during football season, I like to get 20 to 25. On the weekends, off season, I'd like to get between 10 and 12. In season, on Saturday, I'd like to get between 10 to 15. But it's all driven by the news flow. And what we do is we send, and it used to be email, we converted to text, I think right around free agency, where we just have a constant text chain now. Everybody's got iPhone devices, so we constantly get the notice. And it's like, hey, I'm taking this story. Hey, I'm taking that story. And every once in a while they cross streams, and sometimes I'll be involved in that. But that's kind of, I don't know, it's probably more than you wanted to know. But, but there really is no rhyme or reason to it. We just go. Shereen Williams is on more late afternoon and into the evening. Curtis Crabtree does overnight. And I just try to be available whenever. Whenever I'm up, whenever I'm home. You know, one night during a week, we go down to the barn, and I probably will either not take my laptop with me or take it in the event that Odell Beckham gets traded or something like that. I have it around. And on the weekends, I'll try to get away a little bit. But, you know, for the most part, we got to keep throwing coal into the furnace. Got to keep feeding the beast or the beast uh, dissipates. People will go get their information elsewhere. We want to provide that one-stop shop any given moment, a snapshot, snapshot of exactly what's going on in the National Football League. This one comes from C. Leone 55902. What made the Florio family decide on a pet, specifically a dog, just over a year ago? Did you research the type of dog? Who decided on Macy's name? Any history in the decisions? It took a while. It took a while. We had wanted a dog for a while. Now, 10, 12, how many years ago? 14 years ago? I got suckered into taking a dog that I didn't want. A guy who was doing some work for me at my law office, some you know, painting or whatever, and kind of an extended relative to the family, shows up with this little puppy that he claimed he found in the street, which automatically tugs at your heartstrings. Well, it turns out it was his daughter's puppy and she didn't want it anymore. Not quite as sympathetic of a story at that point. So my son's birthday had just been that week and he'd been hounding me about getting a dog, no pun intended. So it's like, shit. All right, we'll just keep the damn dog. And he was thrilled. So that was a Friday. 
And I'm like, I'm not ready for this. What am I doing? I've never had a dog. I don't know what to do. And the dog's got worms and the dog's crapping everywhere. And we got the little dog carrier. And, you know, I'm practicing law. I'm trying to do this job. This was like 2005-ish. And that weekend, I was an absolute emotional and physical wreck. I couldn't sleep because the dog was up crying all night. And the dog was crapping all over its carrier. And every time the dog would crap, these worms would be in it. It's like, I, I, I lost five pounds in a weekend because I was constantly concerned about what this dog was doing. And Monday came around and it's like, I can't, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. My wife wasn't into it. She was working at the time. You know, my son was crestfallen, but what happened was my sister-in-law took the dog. So the dog's been in the family ever since. So everybody, you know, poked some fun at me in the aftermath of that, but which is fine. I just couldn't do it. I could not do it. So in recent years, we were thinking about getting a dog. And this time we planned it out. We picked the dog we wanted. My wife and son did a lot of research. My wife spent a lot of time looking at different breeds and we wanted some kind of a doodle that wouldn't shed, you know, the, the whole, you know, sheep, a doodle, this, a doodle, that apparently the, the poodle is the hooer of the canine, uh, species, but they, they mate everything with a poodle and, uh, you know, it doesn't shed. It's great. Macy doesn't shed. So, we really liked the Bernese Mountain Dog. We loved the disposition. We didn't like the idea of getting a Bernese Mountain Dog because, number one, it sheds. And number two, they only live like seven or eight years. And we're already dreading the moment where that, you know, Macy isn't going to be with us anymore because we got attached to her immediately. So last year, right around this time, I think, Jill found a breeder in Ohio, young girl who was just breeding her Bernese Mountain Dog for the first time. Had a, a litter. It's not even a litter. She had one puppy. The Bernese Mountain Dog had one puppy. And the dog was named Macy. And Jill and Alex drove like four hours to go see the dog. And they sent me video. And they, you know, they fell in love with the dog. And so they came home. We thought about it and talked about it and decided, well, all right, we're going to get the dog. And my wife would have been the, the last one to become the one who bonds with the dog more closely than anyone else. But it's the, the dog and my wife are inseparable. Inseparable. That's why I was so happy when we got home last night that, you know, the dog jumped all over Jill and, and didn't pee due to the excitement, but then the dog got to me and the dog pissed all over the place. I'd never been so happy to see a dog piss on the floor and I didn't mind cleaning it up. That was the only issue when we got her at first, she, she would pee in the house a lot. She never pooped in the house, but she would pee in the house a lot. She finally got out of that. Now I pee in the house from time to time, but it's, you know. But, uh, but she, she's been great and like immediately becomes a member of the family. We go back and look at pictures of her from when she was a puppy and we watch videos and oh, she was so cute. And somebody now wants another one that somebody would be me. And my birthday's coming up and I've dropped the hint because Macy's mother and father, same mother and father got together again, this time had six and there's still like four left. And I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I've been dropping the hints very strongly, but maybe next year at this time when Macy's two, maybe, maybe Macy will have a little sister or a little brother. So that's the story. Aren't you glad you asked for that one? At PFTPM Posse, and this comes via Josh Randall 15, when does Cliff Kingsbury cross the line between friends and tampering in regards to 345 Park Avenue? I mean, this goes back to, remember the story of what was it? It was Cliff Kingsbury and Sean McVeigh 
having dinner with Patrick Mahomes and Sean McVay made Kingsbury believe that the commissioner had texted them that they're in trouble, that they're tampering. And Kingsbury actually freaked out, which is like, man, don't you know the rules? Don't you know what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do? But I I just think that the safest approach is just kind of hands off. Don't communicate with, don't have dinner with, don't talk to anybody who plays for another team ever. Then you can never be accused of tampering. There's a gray area there where you're allowed to have these relationships, but I think that you should just treat it as I only interact with my players. I got 53 guys in the regular season, 90 guys in the off season. I'm going to focus my efforts on befriending my players. When you're not my player anymore, we can have a friendship after you're done, after I'm done, after we're both done. But I just think the smartest approach so you don't have those issues in your life is to confine your work relationships that turn personal to the people who are working for you. I just think that's the safest approach. Even if it never crosses the line, you don't have to worry about ever being accused of crossing the line because you can say, I never talk to anybody except the people who are currently on my team. (sighs) Boy. Uh, This next question from the PFT PM Posse engages in some rampant speculation, even more than I did during PFT Live, about why someone would shoot up the house in which Frank Reich's assistant, Parks Frazier, lives. Three cars, eight people showed up Mother's Day, five to six, jumped out of the gun, uh, jumped out of the cars with guns, more than 80 shots. They discovered shells from five different weapons and a cell phone. Look, I'm not going to add to my speculation from earlier today, and I'm not going to even read the question from the PFTPM Posse. You can go find it at at the PFTPM Posse Twitter account if you're curious. But I I don't want to be irresponsible here. But there is something odd about the personal assistant to an NFL head coach being in a predicament that would result in his house being shot up. Well, it's odd for anybody. But in this era of gambling... I would want to get all the way down to the bottom of that rabbit hole as to whether or not this person was in some way compromised and was providing information or not providing information or providing bad information or trying to stop providing information to folks who would very much like to have information that would allow them to put their thumb on the scale for gambling purposes. And I've said for years, this is always a risk. The dude with the one eyebrow and the gold chains hanging out, getting to know people, the guy who washes the jock straps. The guys in the shadows who know what's going on, but nobody really pays attention to who they are or what they know. Those are the guys who can supplement their income by providing information. Now, again, we don't know anything about why here, but I hope they get to the bottom of it. I hope we get an explanation. And it's something that could turn out to be extremely interesting, depending upon where that thing goes. PFTPM Posse, can you send my youngest daughter at, daughter at youngest child at Bethany Cook? Happy 21st birthday. What advice would you give to her turning 21? We're sending her to New York City in a few days, too. Any advice or tips, tricks for that? Well, first of all, happy birthday, Bethany. I have no specific advice for someone turning 21 because it's been so long since I was 21. I mean, 21 is a magical time where you are pursuing your dreams, living your life, working hard, maturing, learning things about yourself, learning things about the world no longer as gullible and naive, kind of coming into your own, feeling good about where you are, and just enjoy life. You're only going to be 21 for a year, duh. Enjoy that year. I remember for me, the hardest birthday ever was 23. 
because your whole life as you're growing up you're looking forward to being a teenager you're looking forward to being 16 so you can drive you want to be 18 so you can drink and when i was a kid 18 was the magic number in west virginia and then 21 so you can drink anywhere and then you're 21, it's like, yeah, man, you know, I've gotten all these milestones. These are all good milestones. I'm 21. And then when you go to 22, like, you're still kind of 21. You don't think about it. And then 23, it's like, there's no good ones anymore. All the good ones are gone. All the ones you look forward to are gone. Now all the ones that are out there are ones where you're like, oh, you're 30, you're old. Lordy, lordy, look who's 40. I mean, but, but none of those bothered me. 30 didn't bother me. 35, 40, 40, nothing. Not, 23 bothered me because that was kind of like, Oh shit, there is no stopping this train. That, that's the moment where that, that, that coat of armor that you wear from about 17 to 23, where you think you're going to be young, athletic, you know, wear your hair long if you want to, drive around fast in your car if you want to, you're going to live forever, you're going to be young, have fun, drink Pepsi. When you hit 23, that's when you start thinking, man... I'm not immune. This 6865, that's going to stay with me no matter what the the years become going forward. I think that every time I, I go to get wine at the store and they come over, they don't even card me anymore. At least they used to card me out of courtesy. Oh, what's your date of birth? Um, 6865. I find myself saying it more, more softly now. What was that? Um, six, eight, sixty-five, and then you see him trying to do the math. It's like, don't, hey, smart ass, don't. I'm still young enough to put my foot up your ass. So anyway, I don't know if that's advice, but just some ruminations on what it was like to be young. Once you realize that you ain't gonna be young forever, and the bottom line is, enjoy the fact, appreciate the fact that you're only twenty-one once, and in, and and you know. Live your life so that when you are 53, you can say, I really enjoyed being 21. And one thing that I can remember clearly, I really enjoyed being 21. At Gears of Ted, why does Adam Gase have friction everywhere he goes? Well, uh, look, I don't know how much friction was in Florida. I, I thought they, they, they were getting along well in Miami. Now, you know, Gase is kind of a hard-driving guy, but... I thought that under Adam Gase and Chris Greer and Mike Tannenbaum, they got rid of a lot of the dysfunction that had characterized the organization before they got there. I don't know what's going on here. Unless Gase just decided when he showed up, hey, look, this McKagan guy, I don't know what the hell he's doing. And I'm not going to be bashful about saying so because I only got one more shot as a head coach. If it doesn't work here, I'm shit out of luck. So a ballsy move, all-in move by Adam Gase. Wins a power struggle before he ever wins a game. Impressive. Now, look... Good news, bad news, it's all on you. Uncle Larry 112, could the NFL encourage certain teams to move a home game to London by changing the hard knocks exemptions, for example, requiring both a game in London in a certain time frame in addition to being in the playoffs for the past two years? So if you play a game in London, that adds the hard knocks exemption. That would whittle down the pool of available teams to do hard knocks. That's a problem. Under the current formula, there's only five this year. You start throwing extra factors onto it, you may get to a year where no one is eligible to be forced to do hard knocks. I, I just I look at it this way. If the teams don't want to do it, then they should just stop doing it. At some point, there needs to be a big picture look at this that, you know, in theory, we like the idea of having this series, but as a practical matter, nobody wants to do it. 
So let's just not do it. I think the NFL is making enough money that they don't need whatever HBO pays them for six episodes of a 30-minute series that I don't know how many people actually watch it. Is it really worth it to the NFL? Do they need it today? It's one thing in you know 2001, 2002 when it first started. Do you really need to have it today to market the league the way you, the way you want to market it? That was before NFL Network. That was before, you know, the NFL.com and the team websites had their their marketing operations and propaganda machines. Do you really need to have hard knocks? Is all or nothing the replacement for hard knocks? They, they don't have any trouble finding anyone to do all or nothing. Isn't that weird that they have no issues finding someone who can do all or nothing, but they have trouble finding someone to do hard knocks? I think part of it is people just don't want the distraction that comes with having training camp overtaken by hard knocks. They don't want you don't have to worry about the, the, the week to week. And there's an urgency there to get this thing properly edited. And maybe you get cajoled into leaving stuff in there. Like, like the scene from hard knocks last year with Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley, when it became clear that that was inherently dysfunctional relationship. Like did the producers cajole? Oh no, this is good. This is real. People want to see this. No, it'll be fine. No, it's not going to be a huge story and people aren't going to laugh at you. No, it's going to be fine. You don't have much time to really make a good decision. But if you're going to do all or nothing, which is eight one-hour episodes coming out of an entire season, number one, it's easier to fill the eight hours. Number two, you got a hell of a lot more time where your people can focus on what gets in and what doesn't get in. So, and on all or nothing is good. I got no problem with all or nothing. I just think that all or nothing maybe should be the replacement for hard knocks. But they're going to have to say goodbye to the HBO check, and they're going to have to hope that that... Amazon pays as much or more for all or nothing, unless they're just greedy and they want both. Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered, and the problem is they can't find a hog to slaughter to do hard knocks. 70 kilos, Mike, gun to the head. Will there be a sustain? That's not, a, you know, you don't have to, I mean, I'll, I'll answer without a gun to the head. I don't, you know, it's not like you're asking me anything that would be extremely sensitive. Will there be a sustainable alternative league to either the NCAA or the NFL in the next 10 years? No, I don't think so. Now, there, there may be somebody like Vince McMahon who's willing to continue to piss money down a dry hole, but I think the only way to do a true viable alternative slash competitor, whatever you want to call it, is to do it in season. I look at Tuesday night and Wednesday night. I look at the people who lose money over the weekend gambling, and after Monday night, instead of having to wait till Thursday night, they can chase their losses on Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm not saying that's healthy behavior, but from the standpoint of the people who are providing the template for the betting, I'd rather do Tuesday or Wednesday night during the season than try to get people interested in football at a time of the year when they're not. At On Tour Forever, who do you think should be on Hard Knocks and do you watch it? I watch it reluctantly because it's my job. Usually, well, some years I just refuse. I was interested in the Browns. I may not be interested in, in this year. Like if it's anybody but the Raiders, I'm probably not going to be interested and I'll let somebody else deal with it. And, and I don't like this formula. Like, you know what? The league should decide every year who's going to do it. And it should always be the team that some group of people decide is going to be the most compelling. Congratulations. You had a very intriguing and fascinating offseason, and people are interested in you. You will be the Hard Knocks team this year, and it doesn't matter whether you have a new coach. It doesn't matter whether you did it within the last 10 years. It doesn't matter whether you've been to the playoffs the last two years. You are doing it, Period. And if you have to worry about trying to talk people into doing it, then just don't do it. At Colonel Kevin, does the Gase takeover make the top five list of NFL front office coups? I like that as an idea for a draft tomorrow on PFT Live. 
the all-time great NFL power plays. We're going to take that under advisement. So I don't know. Tune in tomorrow to find out. It probably will make it into the draft, though, if we do that. Wasn't that the Dwight Schrute move? Met with Jan? Claimed he went to see a dentist named Crentist? Got busted. Had to do Michael's laundry. At Jacob Siner, why do the Jets get all the good fires and Washington can't seem to fire anyone who deserves it? Spread the wealth. Hashtag funny because it's true. Leapers 500, very important question. How did you feel when Sims admitted he found your gender-flipped Snapchat photo attractive? I was concerned. That was such a weird moment. Here's the thing. I had no idea that they were doing that. I, I like to know what's going to be on you know, the show because it's you know my show. But we're coming back from break for the final segment of the day, and I have stats in my ear telling me that Oh, yeah, there's a new Snapchat filter that everybody's talking about. We, we had some fun with that. We're going we're gonna to have that at the beginning of the segment. It's like, what? Snapchat filter? What? What's Snapchat? And they got this picture of me and Sims with this filter that turns you into a female with makeup. And as soon as we finished, Sims said, is it weird for me to say that I think yours is pretty? Yes. PFT commenter said that Sims looks like a pageant mom who has killed and will kill again. <laughs> We're going to have some of the funnier responses on tomorrow's show. I, the whole thing was just weird because I, I had no idea it was coming. Usually when something happens that I think is going to be like awkward or uncomfortable, I know it's coming. At Dean Osborne 42, can you get John Gruden on the show for a chat? We had him twice last year. He didn't want to mess with us now because here's the problem. I think he thought that that if he made himself available that I'd be like, raw raw shake the pom-poms everything's great and I, i'm, I'm going to call you out if you deserve to be called out if you trade khalil mack i'm going to call you out if you try to blame everything that goes on in the organization on someone else when you've got final power i'm going to call you out i'm going to call you out i i'm not going to be mean about it but the thing is nobody likes being called out it's very rare that someone says you know you criticized me and that was fair i wish more people were like that i've learned over the years when i've gotten criticized I used to be like pissed and I'd like think about it all night and I'd obsess over it and I couldn't fall asleep and oh man, Deadspin called me out and I finally realized, you know what, maybe there's some merit to the criticism and maybe if I change my way of thinking and maybe if I think things through a little bit more and maybe if I don't say stupid shit, I won't get criticized and maybe, maybe there's a learning that can happen here. Maybe I can change my ways. Maybe these people are right. You want to assume they're wrong. There's a chance they're right. I think it's important to listen to criticism. It's important to be thick-skinned. It's important to not just hit the block button anytime anyone calls you out for something. I think it's important to be flexible, to grow, to mature, to change your views. Wouldn't we be in a much better place right now as a country if we all had the capacity to, God forbid, honestly reassess our views on any issue? And be willing to change it if we believe that indeed there is merit to the other way of thinking about a given situation. No one does that now. The ultimate point of pride is clinging to the death to whatever it is that you believe because you believe it. And you will not reduce yourself to the indignity of abandoning something that you have taken the time to form a belief on. It's ridiculous when you think about it. 
Paul PJ5, are the Bears focusing too much on their kicking situation? I feel like the playoff loss is still in their heads. They should have cut Parkey and signed a new veteran kicker and be done with it. I agree. We are saying today on the show they should have just signed Steven Guskowski. Well, this is on PFTOT. The idea that Guskowski decided to stay with the Patriots because he likes kicking under pressure, likes kicking in the elements. I think the Bears just should have signed him. They're going to have a problem. They need somebody who's going to come in there and not flinch. And be able to deal with all the questions. So you're the kicker now. You're the guy who gets the job that no one can seem to earn and keep. How are you going to keep the job? Well, I hadn't really thought about it. Why would you mention that? And, and kickers have a very fragile psyche. They don't want to start thinking about anything that's negative. You, you got to be a killer to pull that off in Chicago. You got to be a special kind of guy. You got to be wired a certain way. I think the, the Bears need to be very creative about who they get to be their kicker. I got some ideas, but we'll, we'll see if the Bears can figure it out. Frank Chavoui, what kind of effect do you think Randall Cobb will have on the Cowboys this year? More of a leadership role, or can he still put up numbers and be a leader? I, look, I mean, leadership is important. I, I don't know what he can do because I don't know what he physically has left. I think if the Packers believed in him, they would have found a way to keep him around. You know, Aaron Rodgers would like to keep him around, would have liked to have kept him around. Uh, so, I... I, I uh, I, I don't know. We'll see. That one falls squarely into the we'll see category because we don't know what he has left and we don't know whether he'll assimilate quickly into that offense. Mike likes dirt. What to you would be the most shocking move a specific team could make before the end of the first day of the 2019 regular season? I, I, I mean, it, it, look, that one's only limited by your creativity. Disbanding. Firing everyone. Bringing Brett Favre out of retirement? I don't know. Here's the thing about the NFL. And, you know, I, I've been on this kick that we need to take seriously the possibility that Daniel Jones will be the week one starter for the New York Giants and people think I'm nuts. It's like, folks, when you make the guy the sixth overall pick in the draft at a time when the incumbent quarterback is having his skills erode before our very eyes to the point where it's a nonstop discussion as to when they're going to find his replacement... If this guy performs well enough to justify the Giants' faith in him at number six overall, he should be able to beat Eli Manning in a fair and square competition. This really isn't all that controversial. And the thing about the Giants, they don't tell you what they're going to do until they do it. They're not going to announce to you we're seriously considering Daniel Jones as the permanent replacement for Eli Manning as of week one until they do it. There's no reason to say that and put that pressure on the kid. But there has to be at some level of the organization a thought that if this guy performs the way that we think he's going to, he's going to be a better option than Eli Manning. So why delay the inevitable? Why give Eli Manning a chance to play just well enough that you end up keeping Daniel Jones on the bench? This next question is from Sean Alvishar, and I don't understand it. Can you explain the wrongful death lawsuit Naming Tiger Woods and his girlfriend as a recovering attorney. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I'll have to look that up. Sorry. Gears of Ted. Will Chris Harris exceed the Havian, uh, the Havian, Xavier Howard deal or Havian Zoward deal? Well, the, the Xavier Howard deal is $12.75 million per year on a six-year deal. So I think Harris should. Whether or not the Broncos are willing to do it remains to be seen. He did a low, below market deal the last time around and he regrets it now and he wants to tear it up and get something better. We'll see if the Broncos will do it. Sean Alvashire. 
Outside of your point that the NFL does not want to admit tanking, what else is preventing a lottery or better yet a rookie free agent pool of sliding dollars? I would think good owners would want that system over the draft. Well, I don't think they want to give up the draft at this point because of what the draft has become. I like the idea of a lottery. A lot of people don't. I like the idea of a straight lottery of all teams that don't make the playoffs having an equal chance to get the first pick in the draft because that removes any temptation to tank. It's amazing to me how hard people will work to ignore the notion that, that there is a temptation to tank and it would be good business, very good business to tank. If you know you're not going to make it to the playoffs, the moment that you know you're not making it, lose as many games as you can. Because who cares if you're 5-11 and 11 versus 2-14? and 14? Who cares? Who cares? If you can lay the foundation to be a hell of a lot better, go ahead and be as bad as you can be. My idea removes that temptation. At The Real Forno, how do you feel about being in my Twitter profile pic? I didn't know I was in your Twitter profile pic. I didn't recognize that I was. There, I see myself now. That's when Paul Allen visited our buddy Tyler Fornis in the hospital, holding up his phone, and there I am on the phone, because I, I, uh, we did a little FaceTime with uh, Tyler, and I'm glad Tyler's doing well, and... Uh, he went through a, a rough off season. We appreciate everything everyone did to, to cheer him up at a time when he needed all the cheering up he could get and all the support he could get. All right. Now, because I clicked back, I've screwed up my, uh, my Twitter page and I got to find the rest of these questions now and it's freezing up on me. Maybe that's going to be my excuse to call this. I, I usually like to end this on a higher note, but because I clicked back to confirm that I am indeed in the Tyler Fornes profile picture... My my internet is frozen up on me. Wait, now it's back. Let's see what we got. Let's see if we have anything more. Now it's still frozen up. Should I? Here's the dilemma I now face. Should I continue to filibuster while I see whether or not this works, or should I just say we've done about 75 minutes? Let's call it a day. There may be a really good question that I'm missing by doing this, but you know what? On the other side of the coin, it's getting a little awkward. So let's call it a day. We'll do another one tomorrow. We haven't done many lately. So tomorrow I'll answer your questions. If I didn't get to your question today, ask it tomorrow. We'll see what, of course, now this is back, but it's too late. I'm wrapping it up. Everybody have a great day. PFT Live tomorrow morning, NBC Sports Radio at 6 a.m. I don't know why I do this. You know when we're on. You know when we're available. And you know to check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.